Feel right to hear my conversation with Brent Joyce? We reflect on what happened over the past summer, get his views on emerging markets, Canadian equities, and what to look for in the fall. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm here with our investment strategist, Brent Joyce. Brent, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here once again, Matthew. Thank you. We're just uh, at the very beginning of fall. Kids are back in school to the relief of many parents. Uh, it's a it's a natural time to take a look, I think, at the summer and what's uh, transpired over the summer. Maybe you can give us high-level uh, comments on the, the stock markets throughout the summer uh, and any overriding themes that impacted markets. Yes, both of my kids are back to school and it is a little quieter around the house here. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts because... You know, COVID uh, and the Delta variant is certainly primary driver of, of what happened through the summer. But if you if you took some time off like I did uh, and, and had a chance to take a breather and relax, you didn't miss a whole pile, mm. uh, particularly when we go from point to point. So it was a roller coaster ride, but, you know, we were in kiddie land roller coaster, not the big, <laughs> uh, you know, not the big monster coasters. Right. And, you know, the lack of volatility has been something that we have talked about and we continue to see that through the summer. There were a couple of checkbacks, nothing uh, that sort of exceeded 3% on the S&P 500. And, and so what are the main concerns or the main drivers? Some, some are positive, um, all have a little bit of a, of a wrinkle um, in terms of, of uh, what's been driving markets and certainly the Delta variant as it was spiking a fourth wave in various parts of the world. And we had breakthroughs that were a greater percentage than I think people, well, certainly that we'd hoped for, for sure, right. and that people might have been um, expecting. So, you know, 20%, 25% type things where you even vaccinated people. And in, in jurisdictions that have reasonable levels of vaccination, I wouldn't necessarily say high, and, and we, we do have to differentiate there. So people point to the UK, they point to Israel, they point to the US. Um, you know, you've, you've got 60-ish, 55, 60, low 60s in those jurisdictions. Somewhere like United Arab Emirates is one to look more closely at where you're well above 80. Right. And the vaccines are doing what all of this sort of set out uh, at the beginning was not COVID zero and no circulation of the disease. That's not... Um, reasonable at, at this juncture anyhow. But the hospitalizations in those areas that are better vaccinated, and I don't include the US, unfortunately, in that category. So you had these concerns. But aside from that, the market's comfortable that we're not going to see a return to you know these very draconian lockdown restrictions in places like the US, the UK, most of the Western world. Uh, with the exception of New Zealand and, and Australia, they are taking the, the hard-handed lockdowns, but uh, so did China. And so the Delta variant has having that impact in some parts of the world. And, and then there's a supply side issue in Asia as the Delta variant has shuttered factories and ports because of you know localized outbreaks. But even in areas where there are a few restrictions, 
like the US, the UK, there is a behavioral shift on the part of the population when things like the Delta variant spike. And we may have you know, other variants and other breakthroughs as we move through time. The risk is going to simmer and be behind us uh, for some time now. Uh, and the behavior showed up in things like retail sales. It showed up in a softening in the service side of the economy. It showed up in the employment numbers. The things that capital markets obviously are much more focused on. I guess the um, the silver lining through the summer that helped to buoy markets was earnings. Right. You know, you've heard me say before, earnings are the lifeblood of share prices. And they have just been coming through exceptionally, exceptionally well. The analyst community was made a mockery of once again because the, the surprises and the beats were enormous. Right. And I think, you know, you have to really um, come to grips with the fact that the corporate community has adjusted quite nicely to this environment of COVID, right? You've got the pandemic winners in information technology and, and, and those ones that we're well familiar with. Um, small setbacks in the reopening reflation trade was part of, part of the issue. What happens though is it's a bad news is good for capital markets and good news is good for capital markets. So it's a tails I win, heads I win scenario is, is a bit of what was unfolding through the summer. As fears rise on things like the slowing economy or slowdowns because of the Delta variant, bond yields fell. Right. And we, you know, we hit a six-month low for bond yields, and that gives a, a tailwind and a boost to the um, you know, the secular growth, information technology, long duration type uh, stocks that we're familiar with in communication services and uh, and information technology. Then, as I said, if you if you took the summer off and then it just came back point to point, things started to improve in the middle of August. And all the things that, that were concerns um, started to go the other direction. So you had signs that the Delta fourth wave was rolling over in many parts of the world. And that, you know, now that we're into September continues to be the case. Those early signs in the middle of August have come to fruition. We are seeing it roll over. Right. You've had uh, earnings that have continued to pound through exceptionally well. Um, you've had a bit of uh, a glimmer in the reopening reflation trade. Bond yields have started ever so slowly to get themselves up off the mat uh, and come off of those six-month lows that we had in August. So that's a long-winded way of saying that it was a pretty mild <laughs> summer for equity markets. Thanks. That's, uh, that's helpful context, uh, Brent. And I, I wanted to key in on uh, one of the things that you talked about, which is earnings before uh, going through uh, some other questions that I have for you. Um, but you, you mentioned earnings really, really strong. I know that when we started uh, 2021 and then going even back throughout 2020, valuations were something that were uh, primary concern to many investors uh, because you had the exact opposite, really depressed earnings uh, because uh, of COVID. Uh, and that made valuations look very stretched. Where where are you seeing valuations right now? Uh, have earnings sort of uh, um, made valuations look a little bit more normal, call it, or are you still seeing quite inflated? Depends on the market that we're looking at to go all the way to say normal, I would argue. But yes, across the board, we have seen, and if we just take price earnings multiples as, as the poster child for valuations, there are other valuation metrics that we want to be cognizant of, but we'll, we'll stick to that for simplicity uh, today. You, know, you for sure had levels that were reminiscent of the dot-com bubble you know, seven, eight months ago, 27 times earnings for the S&P 500. Right. You know, that, that's a number we hadn't seen since um, since the 2000s. 
And as much as we've seen galloping gains for many equity markets, you know, plus 20%, the S&P 500 is now up over 100% from its lows of, mm-hmm. of the pandemic back in March. Um, the Canadian market's up 20% uh, plus on a year-to-date basis. It has, earnings have actually, the multiples have actually improved because as much as prices are moving, the earnings growth has far outpaced uh, the gains in prices. And so where us and many others were calling for modest gains at the beginning of this year because of the starting point for valuations, you know, earnings that are year over year, 85, 95, over 100% at the index level for the S&P TSX, for example, in Q2, have been these monster surprises. Right. But there's always a rub, right? There, There's a, a little bit of... Um, uh, gamesmanship with earnings and the beats, um, analyst community. If you look back over decades, the analyst community runs in cycles as well. They're subject to biases and human behaviors like anybody. And it runs roughly like this. So 80% of the time, analysts that are forecasting earnings, industry analysts, they're pretty optimistic. And those earnings expectations start very high. Uh, as you get closer and closer to earnings date for a particular company, they tend to soften a little bit and, and allowing these normal beats. So the, the beat rate uh, for earnings surprises historically is in the 60% range, right? So it's a bit, okay. of, bit of gaming. But 20% of the time, and it, that 20% is predictable, it comes after recessions or after a shock like we've had to earnings most recently. Right. Uh, the analyst community gets behind the ball. And they're very conservative in their earnings estimates, and they're reluctant and slow to mark those up. And so we're now in the second quarter of these very, very large earnings beats. And it begs the question, when will that cyclicality that we know exists in analyst behavior and is very exacerbated now because of the lack of guidance that corporations um you know, refuse to give, rightly so, through the, the fog of the pandemic. Sure. Uh, but at some point in time, the analysts will have marked up their expectations to a point where it will be more difficult to surprise. We'll go back to those normal surprises, if you will. And this is the concern that we have moving forward. Is there? And it's starting to come out in the mainstream media and some other shops are, are, are cautioning about flat returns through the end of the year. A couple of them are actually talking about, you know, maybe S&P 500 ends the year slightly lower than it is today. And it's because as much as earnings are going to continue to be solid, and they are the lifeblood of supporting stock prices, we're not going to see that big surprise factor last for another two or three quarters. Maybe we get one more where analysts wear some egg on their face and a bit of a mockery. But uh, eventually those analysts will overshoot and the surprises will disappear or they'll become a lot less. And that doesn't give you this extra juice then that we have been receiving so far year to date because of, of such big surprises. So it's... It's part and parcel with a theme that we've talked about and we wrote about in our mid-year, which is that the second derivative is turning negative, but the absolute level matters. So we're still good. We're just not good and accelerating. We're decelerating in certain things like PMI surveys and retail sales and global growth and uh, and all that stuff, Um, but it's still at very, very good level. So equity markets and the earnings will come through. Uh, supportive of share prices, but you're not going to get the additional gravy uh, because of these big surprises that we've we've had. That's great, uh, Brent. Thanks for 
Thanks for that clarity. Um, moving to the Canadian market, maybe just some brief comments on that. Uh, you referenced earlier uh, Canada's up uh, year to date over 20%. Uh, what's been driving uh, that market? I mean, I think traditionally of, uh, of Canada as uh, banking and, and energy, as a lot of people do, uh, is that what's really behind it or is there more to it? Uh, yes and yes is the answer to that question. So if we look at attribution for the TSX on a year-to-date basis, financials does top the list, um, despite the salvo that was um, you know fired by the Liberals as campaign rhetoric, sure. perhaps on on a shift in taxation. And taxation issues are starting to bubble in in the U.S. marketplace as well. But mm-hmm. the financials have done well on an improvement in the yield backdrop um, for both insurers uh, and banks. Uh, of you know the reopening, the robustness, the housing story that we're all very familiar with is is a big boost there, and then number two is the energy space and and its prices right. You've got a uh, a rebound in oil prices. Uh, you know we think the sixty to seventy dollar range makes sense, given there is still supply uh, being withheld by uh, OPEC plus, uh, but you're not seeing as big a price response by the capitalist motivated North American producers. So U.S. shale is, has started to pump more and, and to pick up some, but it's not nearly what you would have seen, you know, three or four years ago if oil was $70. So there's either some self-imposed discipline, uh, some capital market imposed discipline as part of that story as well, right. as the money that's flowed to the energy sector has been to bolster their balance sheets and not necessarily just a, a drill, drill, drill uh, mentality. Uh, and you also have got some supply constraints uh, there as well, that it's not just automobile needles and semiconductors and, and container ships, you know, the access to labor issue and in the energy patch, you are talking about some specialized uh, labor skills uh, is causing a bit of a damper there. And then when I say yes and yes, so energy financials are a big driver, you know, that's uh, over half of, of the 20% plus that we've seen on a year-to-date basis. And then... Quietly, but not so much, I suppose. Information technology is the number three sector on a year-to-date basis, and and you know for sure a big chunk of that, more than half of its contribution has been from, um, you know Canada's darling Shopify, and sure. all of the uh, that it has done. It's something for us to be very proud of uh, as Canadians. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful company that's providing services that have clearly become much more warranted and, and in demand. Um, in a work from home, stay at home, you know, pandemic world. And then there's some others in that space, Constellation, um, sorry, Lightspeed would be another one, um, Nuvi Corp, which is doing um, quasi-banking, uh, but certainly payments handling. So names that most Canadians probably wouldn't be familiar with. And then some of the, the incumbents in that space that we've known for many years, uh, also keying in, which is Constellation Software, um, CGI, Open Text. Um, so, you know, the information technology sector, it doesn't have the same footprint in Canada that we see in the U.S. market, of course, uh, but it's um, it's punching above its its weight and its weight is, is growing. You know, it's now over 10% of our index and, you know, off the top of my head, if I were to go back five years, that number is likely half that, uh, sure. you know, in the four or 5% range. Right. It sounds like a little bit more diversified than we've had historically with these new uh, names coming. When I think of information technology in my head, I go to Nortel and RIM. Uh, <laughs> maybe not the best stories for the Canadian, but it sounds like more more companies uh, contributing, which is encouraging. Um, perhaps we can turn now to emerging markets. It's probably the, the weakest uh, return that we've seen uh, over the, the year-to-date basis. Uh, what's, what's happening in emerging markets and, and what are you expecting of them for the back half of the year? 
Right. So in emerging markets, we can separate that out two conversations. One is the China story, which is largely uh, the weakness there. And then the other is everything else in emerging markets, which is a little more than half of, of uh, the benchmark. Right. Um, you clearly have low vaccination rates in many of these uh, jurisdictions. You have uh, you know, some of the supply chain issues uh, acutely in South Asia. A softening global growth, a tightening U.S. Fed, a stronger U.S. dollar, those are all negatives for that you know, the non-China part of emerging markets. And, and we've seen that through the summer. So there's weakness there. The majority of it is being driven by, you know, what's now really a bear market in, uh, in pockets of the Chinese equity market. There's two themes to think about. From February through July, it was the, well, China's further down the road to recovery. So their central bank is further down the road to tightening. Yep. And that was very much a, a you know, a tightening of financial conditions in China that was providing a headwind, not only for uh, the Chinese economy and the Chinese stock market, but that spills out uh, globally as well. That's now a good second derivative, where the tightening that we've witnessed is starting to slow. And that's, you know, loosening up uh, financial conditions at the margin in China. I'm not sure we're going to get to a, a spot where they're stepping on the gas like they, they were previously, right. but at least it's not getting any worse. So that headwind has maybe gone benign, let's call it. Only to be replaced, and I think this is deliberate, because the Chinese economy uh, and the global economy is in this receleration mode um, more generally, if you beyond the, the pockets of, of weakness we, we have at the moment, is an opportunity for the Chinese authorities to revisit an agenda that th is not new. They started with it um, you know, four to five years ago, and it is um, it's viewed in, in different lights depending on the source of the media that you want to consume. You know, we have partners on the ground in China with China AMC, and we get uh, a different view from them and blend that with the Western view and put it all together, and it's probably somewhere in the middle. Because the themes are, you know, clamping down on large uh, internet companies. We're talking about that in the West as well, right? Monopolistic behaviors of things like Amazon or, or Apple or what have you, whether it's in Europe or in the US. Um, you know, the way that young people are consuming. Uh, entertainment on their phones. And that, that's an issue that is in Western society as well as it is in China. Nevertheless, to, to keep the, the politics aside of it, it is a clampdown in the regulatory environment that is happening in China that is crimping and does normally and, and justifiably require a bit of a reevaluation of, of risks as an investor. And so the fundamental stuff that we can look at in terms of financial conditions and the things we always, always have looked at that drive Chinese equities, there's actually some improvement, as I mentioned, only to be replaced by this tightening, which is more difficult for us as macro uh, investors to try to quantify how far does this agenda go, where do they want to get to with it. Um, so it's going to be a cloud for the near term. Valuations have come down so right. that you have, I mean, earnings are still been good, but it's been a, a price correction as well, whereas mm -hmm. everywhere else, multiples are down because prices have gone up and earnings have gone up more. Here right. we, have, we have seen prices uh, correct the, uh, some of the valuation concerns in China and then EM more broadly. As long-term investors, I think these levels look more attractive clearly than they were six months ago. Uh, but in the near term, that regulatory cloud is likely going to be a source of continued volatility. So it depends on your time horizon and your motivation in that market uh, as to whether to take a stab at uh, tiptoeing in. 
we have a slight overweight recommendation in EM, but that's in the context of it's generally a, a modest amount of, of a portfolio to begin sure. with. Right. Uh, well, that's that's great, Brent. Uh, we've, we've talked about a lot uh, so far today. I'm curious, as we head into the fall, what are you going to be paying the most attention to? I mean, some of the ideas that we've talked about, valuations uh, across the, the world, uh, regulatory, you, you referenced China uh, clamping down. We're talking about that in the West. China led uh, out of COVID. Do they lead out of regulation? Is that something that you're looking for? Uh, central banks, Delta variants. There's all sorts of stuff that we talked about. What's what's going to be uh, what you're most looking after for the fall? Uh, to keep the list short and digestible, certainly the you know the, you mentioned back to school, back to work. Or is this going to last? Right? Are right. we going to have a, a shutdown? So that's all about COVID. Uh, clearly, that is, as much as markets are becoming more comfortable with the way co- corporations and society is dealing with COVID, it, it is still obviously a, a risk. And then there's a very busy U.S. political calendar that um, that matters. We have debt ceiling, government shutdown threat um, that, you know, again, markets are very familiar with the way that these things play out. Often it goes to the brink and at the 11th hour before we get a deal. I wouldn't be surprised to see that, particularly now that it appears there's some infighting amongst Democrats themselves, right? Folks like uh, Senator Manchin and others that are asking for this pause, which you know, it's not my tax dollars as a Canadian, but it does make some sense to ask the question after spending so much, you know, is three and a half trillion the right number? Is one trillion the right number? The pace that they want to roll that out, that sort of stuff. I don't think that's unreasonable, but it, it obviously is begging the question for the S&P 500 and, and for um, risk assets in general that we're expecting this continued flood of fiscal support that perhaps is no longer pandemic related. You know, we've had the unemployment benefits expire this this month. Right. That was going to shift to these other uh, initiatives, and there's calling into question as to the size of those. Is it going to be three and a half trillion? Right. I mean, Bernie Sanders wanted six trillion, so three and a half was already supposed to be a compromise. And then, and then the, the other is the one trillion on infrastructure, and of course, how are we going to pay for that? And I mentioned the Canadian taxation story with the Canadian banks, which really didn't. You know, flinch Canadian share prices. Sure. Um, and if it were to come to fruition, it's a you know three to five percent pinch to to their earnings. But in the U.S., if you have these broad based tax increases in corporate tax rates that aren't you know um, directed at a particular industry, but that's being talked about. And then additional surtaxes on corporations that are of a certain size. All these sorts of things that uh, equity markets would have to adjust uh, if that were to become reality. You mentioned central bankers. The Fed still has work to do in laying out its taper calendar. And that will beg the question, okay, so once you tell us how much per month, we know how much you've got. So we can do the math and figure out the number of months. And then everybody's going to put an X on their calendar and say, oh, the Fed's going to tighten, whether that's July or September, December, whatever the date is going to be. And the Fed has tried to change that attitude and that viewpoint and say, no, 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 no. Taper does not necessarily lead to tightening. Uh, our own Bank of Canada tried to spell that same language out last week as well to get markets uh, um, away from what is really their kryptonite, and that is rate increases. Right. Uh, so that's starting to be more of a story through the fall. It's only going to accelerate and become a bigger story as we get in, into next year. So U.S. political calendar, what central banks are going to be doing, and then, of course, through the next just a few weeks, we go through what I call the you know the wilderness where um, uh, investors don't get 
anything, any fresh news on their lifeblood, which is earnings. Mm. So we've got, we just finished uh, Q2 earnings. Q3 earnings don't ramp up until really late September, beginning of uh, first week of October in the US. And, and we'll see where we get uh, with that. So that is always uh, a story. Perfect. Well, we'll watch for all those things, Brent, and uh, we'll continue to have you on to uh, help us walk through these things as they happen and and make sense of them. So I appreciate your time uh, and look forward to our next conversation. Me too, Matt. And we'll walk through it all together. Thank you. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 